Well, what's up, church? Glad to be here with you this morning. Uh, to get us rolling, I want to start off with a question, okay? Uh, how many of you enjoy spending your time thinking about death? All right? How, we don't like to think about that, right? Okay, you guys are like dead already. <laughs> I didn't even mean to say it like that, but... Uh, but we don't think about death that much. We don't like spending time thinking about death. And it's interesting. It's going to be a very happy message today, by the way. I'll just throw that out there. We're talking about death. But uh, it's interesting that death is a part of every single one of our lives, right? Like, like it is. Like every single one of us in this room, unless we're like a young kid, uh, maybe we haven't gone through this yet. But, uh, but every single one of us, we've been impacted by people that we love and people that we care about who have died. Even for us individually, you know, death plays a, a pretty significant role in our life, right? Um, at the end of our life, where each and every one of us will die, unless Jesus comes back someday, you know, while we're still here. And so some of us, I feel like in our culture, what we do is we ignore this reality. And so real quick, what I want to do is just to get us all on the same page, all right, make sure we're all equal here is on the count of three, I want us just to say it out loud. Sometimes I think we just got to verbalize this stuff and say it, hear ourselves say it. But out loud, I want us to say on the count of three, I'm going to die, okay? Sound like a plan? I told you, it's a happy one today. So sorry you came today. It's the death message. Okay, yeah. All right, so one, two, three. I'm going to die. Yeah, that's sad, but it's the reality. It's going to happen. It's kind of our fault anyway. But... Um, but it's interesting, like, like sometimes, and I know this might sound weird and like, what is wrong with him? But, you know, sometimes I'm like, I wonder how I'm going to go. You know, you ever think about that? Like, what's my end, you know, what's my last moments going to be like? What's that going to feel like? Um, hopefully, you know, for me, I'm thinking I hope I die, you know, with, uh, with some dignity, you know, hopefully I die with uh, like, a, like a cool way. Like I go and I'm saving a baby from a burning building and I'm on fire, like up in flames. I'm like, take the baby, you know, something like that. And I die. That'd be cool. Um, and uh, it's not the most pleasant way to go, but at least, I, you know, be a good story for yeah, whatever, for that kid. Okay. Um, but, or maybe I take a bullet for, for somebody. You ever think about that? That'd be a good way to go. Like, like someone's getting ready to shoot, and you're like, wait, you know, and they, they get you. You know, that would be an interesting way, and you save somebody, so that would be good. Um, you know, there's always, like, Niagara in a barrel, you know, stuff like that. Like, there's other options out there um, that you could try, and sometimes people die doing stuff like that. But uh, unfortunately, death is a part of life. Like, that's the reality of it. That's just the truth of it. In our culture, we are so good at, at ignoring it. We're so good at ignoring death. But for this church that we've been talking about the last few weeks in this huge city 2,000 years ago called Thessalonica, death was a real thing. Death was something that they saw a lot, frequently. Death was something that they were experiencing, and it was a big deal to them. Uh, that's what we've been do talking about. We've been going through two tiny little letters in the New Testament called First and Second Thessalonians. And uh, this group of Christians in this huge city called Thessalonica, uh, they were a new church. Paul had just started this church uh, just a few months before. And Paul had to leave abruptly because the people in the city were like, whoa, we don't like this whole idea of this like new King Jesus. We only worship Caesar. Like they literally worshiped 
the dude Caesar, the, the Roman Caesar. And so, you know, they're like, well, we don't like this. And so Paul had to run for his life. And when he, had, when he left, he didn't have enough time to, you know, build leaders up. He wasn't there for enough time to, to spend a bunch of time teaching these people. And these people, even, even above that, these people are constantly being oppressed by the city that they're living in. And so Paul had been wondering and thinking about and, and worried about and lo- for these people that he had loved and cared for. And Paul now is writing them a letter. And Timothy has just got back with some news. He had gone and visited the Thessalonian church. And he's like, hey, Paul, great news. And so Paul, as he's writing this letter, he has joy because he knows that these people are on fire for God. And these people are so pumped for Jesus' return someday that they knew it could happen at any moment, okay? And so Paul, he's writing this letter, and, uh, and he's just, and he recognized that, and he's writing this letter with joy. But these people are also freaking out a little bit because he's noticing, they're noticing that, hey, Paul, you told us that Jesus was going to come back for us, and people around us are dying. Now, I think it's probably safe to assume that these people that are within this church aren't just dying from sickness and, like, old age, and they go to sleep and they don't wake up again, you know, some, something like that. Like how we all dream, like, I want to die peacefully in my bed type thing. Like, I don't think that's how they're dying. Because, again, the Roman Empire is, uh, is oppressing these people and persecuting these people because, only because, of their beliefs in, in Jesus. And so it's, it's, it's bad. The Roman government is probably, you know, killing them one by one. And, uh, and this is really happening all over the Roman Empire. It's right actually at the beginning of when all this happens. It's not going to stop for like hundreds of years. In fact, Paul, the guy who's writing this letter, in just a few short years, he's going to have his head cut off because of his belief in Jesus. And so these people are saying, hey, Paul, here's the deal. We know that Jesus is coming back, but why is it taking so long? Like, we're getting killed here. Like, we're getting slaughtered here, and our friends and our family members are dying. And so, and so what? They just miss it? I thought you promised that, they would come, that Jesus would come, and they would get to experience it. What's going on here? And so Paul, he wants, to be, he wants to clear up some misunderstandings here, and he wants to clarify what it will look like when Jesus comes back someday. And by the way, as he's writing this, he's writing this about 2,000 years ago, and now it's 2,000 years later, and it still hasn't happened. Which means for us, we could kind of read this as the Thessal- this, these group of Christians in, this, in Thessalonica were reading this, saying, hey, this is in our future. It's in our future. Whether we're still here or we're dead, who, who knows? And so that's the situation that's going on. Now, if you're new here this morning and you're going, whoa, this is weird, okay? Um, are you talking like the end of the world type stuff? You're talking like... You know, Jesus coming back and all this, like, like, like that just sounds so weird. And I'm going to say, yeah, it is weird. Okay, it just is. I don't know how else to say it. Uh, but the Bible is telling us what's going to happen. Just like, by the way, the Bible told us how the first time Jesus was going to come, how that was going to happen. Remember some of the things the Bible told us there? The Bible said his mom was going to be a virgin. That's weird, right? Like, that doesn't happen, okay? It's odd. Uh, the Bible also told us that uh, he was going to be born in all the cities and places on earth. He was going to be born in this tiny little town called Bethlehem. That's weird. The whole thing's, the whole thing's just, <laughs> just weird, but it's true, okay? And the people in Thessalonica, they think it's kind of weird too, and so they're confused, and they're especially confused since people are, are getting killed, and, and so Paul wants to kind of clear all this up for us, which is good for us too. So, 
1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. <coughs> he says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep. Now, when he's talking about those who are asleep, he's not talking about the guy over here who's sleeping off while I'm talking, okay? There's not anybody over there, but there probably are sometimes. And I'm watching, so just so you know, stay awake today because I'm really sensitive to it today. But um, he's not talking about you or, or people like that. He's, this is really just a really nice word for people who have died, kind of like us. What do we say? We say, oh, so-and-so passed away instead of so-and-so croaked. Like, we don't say that. Usually that's not as sensitive as we should be. So that's kind of what Paul's doing here. He's saying, hey, concerning those who have passed away or for those who are asleep. Remember, these people have just lost people that they really, really, really care about. So he's being sensitive here. He's good. He says, so about those people, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. And so real quick, Paul, he points out really two different types of people. Number one, he talks about Jesus followers, and these are people who have hope. That means those of us in this room that we have given our lives over to Jesus at some point in our life. Paul's just recognizing and saying, hey, you guys have hope. That's really, really good. And, the, and then the other group of people is he says the rest. Right? Everybody else who subsequently have no hope. And so for those of us who have given our lives over to Jesus, man, this is just really good news. It's really great. It's like Paul saying, hey, when a Christian dies, it's just different. It just is. Like it's just different. Actually, the whole grieving process is different. Like, death always stings, but we don't have the sorrow and we don't have the grief as the rest do, is what Paul's trying to point out to us. I mean, I, I even experienced this this week. This week, um, <clears throat> there's a lady who's one of us. He's part of our, she's part of our church. Uh, she attended Fremont campus um, for, for decades. Ever, you know, I've known her ever since I've been alive. And uh, her name was Kathy. Actually, we showed um, we showed her story here on a Sunday morning a few months ago during the summer. Um, but, uh, but I got word that, that Kathy had passed away. She died unexpectedly on Thursday. And I got the text, and someone texted me saying, hey, just so you know, Kathy, she passed away. And, um, and you know how that is. Like when you get that call or you get that text or someone tells you, it just like kind of hits you. You know, you're just like, ugh. Like I'll never talk to her again or hear her talk. You know, it's just all this stuff. And, um, and so, you know, I, I'm not good at this and I'm not emotional or touchy-feely in a, in a sense. And so, I'm, you know, I type back, I'm like, I don't know what else to say, but like, that's such a bummer, you know, that, or that's so sad. And the person who, who told me this, she texted back and says, not for her. And it's just a reminder, by the way, she prayed for you guys every single day, okay? I'm just saying, she prayed for our Tiffin campus, but it's just a reminder for us that he, he's right, not for her, not for us who are believers, not for us who are Christians. And then he explains why. So he's like, hey, it's not the same for us. We don't grieve like the rest of them do. It's different. And he says, this is why. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, by the way, this right here, this is the foundation of Christianity. We get this? Like if Jesus didn't die and rose again, then 
Why do we believe what we believe? We have no reason, no basis to believe what we believe. This is everything. He came, he died, because we have a sin debt to God, who's perfectly just and has to administer justice, which isn't good for us. And then Jesus, he took that upon himself. He took our punishment. So that's the basic Christianity right there. He says, so if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way, through Jesus... Meaning, because of what Jesus did on that cross, he says, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep or those who have died. See, Paul's saying, hey, the people who have died, the people that you, uh, Thessalonian church, are worried about, he's like, they're not gone forever. It's not like the end. It's not over. They're not going to miss out on on anything. It's not like God is, you know, they missed their chance and God's forget, like he just forgot about them. And he's like, oh, I forgot to come back in time. Oh, I missed that. They're dead. It's over. You know, that's not what's going on here. Paul describes exactly what that'll look like. He says, hey, this, here's, here's the deal. In verse 15, he says, for we say this to you by a word from the Lord. Okay. They're not gone. It's not done for them. That we who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep or those who have died. He said, we're not going to go before them. In fact, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Now, this is pretty cool because I think a lot of us, we don't really, um, first of all, we don't really know this stuff because it's like, what? What's going on here? And so this is kind of new to us, some of us. But then it's not just like God comes down and is like, hey, come on up. Everybody, he comes down from heaven with a shout, meaning it's going to be loud, all right? It's not quiet. This is not a quiet thing. It kind of reminds me of a story in the Old Testament. There's this dude, his name's Elijah. Um, He's actually a prophet, so he was one of God's messengers. And um, the king and queen and most all the other people there are trying, the Jews are trying to kill him, okay? So they're trying to put him to death. He has to run for his life, but God's protecting him and and things are going okay, um, but he just gets tired of running, okay, which I can understand. He's tired of fearing for his life. He's tired of running, and he's hungry and just all this stuff. And so he is sleeping in a cave up on this mountain, which probably isn't super comfortable because he's in hiding. And so he's, he basically just goes to God, and he says, hey, God, just kill me, all right? I just want to die. Kill me. Let's get this over with. Why am I even still here? What's the deal? And, and he's just one of those people that are kind of like complainers. Like, you know people like that. They're just complaining. You're like, yeah, I get it. Your life's terrible. Stop telling me about it, you know? Now you're making my life terrible. You get what I'm saying? Okay, he's like one of those people. And so God's just like, Elijah. I want you to go to the mouth of the cave or the opening of the cave, and I am going to pass by you, and I'm gonna, we're going to have a little conversation. So after Elijah probably pooped his pants, he's like, okay, I'll go. And so he goes up to the opening of the cave, and he waits. In the meantime, this huge storm comes up, and there's wind, and there's trees that are falling down, and rocks are flying around, and Elijah's listening, and he's like, okay, this is God. What's going to happen? I hope I don't die here, but maybe he didn't want to die because he actually did want to die. So I don't know. But he's there, and nothing. And then it goes away. Elijah's like, okay, that's weird. And then a huge earthquake happens. So the mountains start shaking and rocks are flying off the mountain. And Elijah's like trying to hold his footing like, whoa, God, okay. And then he's listening, listening, nothing. 
And then all of a sudden, I don't know if lightning strikes or what happens, but this huge like forest fire like kind of surrounds him and the cave. And there's fire, the whole mountain's kind of on fire. And, and Elijah's waiting to hear from God. He's like, all right, God, are, are you there? Like, it's getting hot. Like, you know, smoke, <laughs> you know, whatever. And, and nothing. And then in a little whisper, he's standing there. He's like, what is going on out there? And God says, Elijah. Man, what's going on? What are you doing? Why are you here? Why are you complaining? And they have a little conversation. See, I think a lot of us as Christians, you know what, we, we, we view Jesus this way. We view it as like, like Jesus as a very, you know, a soft, quiet, loving, personal. And by the way, let me just say, God is very personal. He wants a personal relationship with us. I mean, this is the whole point of why he came down and paid for everything that we've ever done wrong. But the thing we got to remember as Christians is he is also the king of kings and the Lord of lords. All right, he's also the king of the entire universe. And so when Jesus comes back this second time, <clears throat> it's not going to be a whisper. All right, it's going to be a shout and it's going to be loud and people are going to know it. And he's going to be declaring the greatest victory in the history of the world. I mean, it's going to be crazy, and it's going to be awesome. And so Paul, he's pointing that out. He's saying, hey, when Jesus comes back, it ain't going to be like the last time when he came as a suffering servant, born in a barn as a baby. This time, he's coming at his real self. He says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. It's going to be loud. People are going to know it, but that's not the only noise. Also, with the archangel's voice, whatever that is, loud. He says, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will actually rise first. See, Paul's going, hey, check this out. Jesus is going to come to the clouds, and it's going to be super loud. It's going to be crazy. People are going to know it. He says, and the people who have died, the people that the Thessalonian church, they're worried about, their friends, their brothers, their sisters, their, their daughters, you know, he says, they're going to actually rise up. They're going to meet Jesus first. They get to go first. So don't freak out about that, all right? Don't, don't worry about them, because they actually have it better than the people who are still alive on the earth. Um, next verse. He says, then, <clears throat> after they rise, then we who are still alive, the Christians who are on the earth at that time, who are left, will actually be caught up. Now, this word caught up is originally in Greek, which means kind of snatched up. Um, when they, trans they translated it to, the, to Latin, um, it's the, Latin has this word called rapture. Okay, that's where we get the word the rapture. That's where that comes from. It's actually a Latin word, which basically means to be caught up is what it means. And so he's saying, hey, after that, we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And so the Christians who have died, they get to go first. And then we as Christians who are alive here on the earth, whether that's us, whether that's people after us, who knows, he's saying then they get to go. And that's where we get the word rapture from. Now, for me, I don't know about you, <clears throat> I've often wondered what this will look like. Any of you guys, like, some of you guys, this is, like, new, and you're going, what is he talking about? It's freaking me out a little bit. Others of you, you've been a Christian for a long time, you're like, oh, yeah, the rapture. Okay, yeah, we just go up. All right, cool. But have you, have you ever wondered about what this will look like? I have. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of us have, but uh, I'm thinking maybe it might be something kind of like this where God just kind of, you know, sucking us up. 
Um, maybe it'll be like kind of like he beams us up, right? Maybe it'll be something, I don't know, something like this. I really hope it's not like that because that looked painful. You know, you're like, uh. By the way, I've heard that's a terrible movie, so don't go watch it. Um, hopefully it's a lot more peaceful than that. You know, maybe some like piano music playing in the background or something. Maybe it's to be something like this. I don't know. My guess is that we don't become little orbs of light and float around and fly around, but uh, I don't know, you know. Um, all we know is that the Bible tells us it's going to happen, and it's going ha- to happen fast. In fact, to the church in Corinth, Paul, he's saying, hey, he says this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, hey, we'll not all fall asleep, but we'll all be changed. He's saying, hey, there will be Christians alive when Jesus comes back. And so some people will be alive. A lot of people will be dead. Um, next verse. He says, it will happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. He's saying, hey, this is going to happen, and it's going to happen fast. He says that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, what, what the heck does that mean? That basically, he's talking about the time it takes for you to like shift your, th- like look over. You just, like your eye twitches, you know. He said it's going to happen quick. You won't even realize it. It's going it's to be, it's like one second we're going to be here, we're going to be doing our thing, whatever that thing might be for you. And the next second we're going to be with Jesus in the sky. And what are we going to be doing there? He's saying we're going to be meeting Jesus. Like, that's what's going to be happening. That's, what's gonna, that's what we're going to be doing. Like, we will get to become, or we will get to uh, come face to face with our creator who loves us. And from that moment on, he says, we will always be with the Lord. Like, this is a forever thing. This isn't like real quick, quick meet and greet. It's not what's going on here. This is a forever thing, meaning no more pain, no more sin, no more fighting, no more disease, no sick, no more cancer, no more starving kids, no more divorce or loneliness, no more disappointment or sadness or worry or anxiety or depression or poverty or getting old or back pain or, you know, whatever you guys might be dealing with. He's saying, hey, there will be no more of that. I mean, can you imagine, as Christians, just for a second, like, just think about this. Can you imagine what that will be like? We will be with our Savior. Like, that's our future. It's going to be going back to how God originally created the world before we came on the scene and screwed everything up. And so these people that Paul's writing to are super worried. They have anxiety. They have fear that the people that they care about who have been killed are going to miss out on Jesus coming back. And Paul, he comes on the scene and he's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. We will actually all experience this together. Like Jesus will come down to the clouds. There's going to be a lot of noise. It's going to be loud. And the dead Christians, they're going to rise first. And then the Christians who are alive, they will rise next. And everyone meets together in the air. And then eternity begins. He's saying, that's great news. And so for us as I don't know, Christians, which isn't everybody in here, but for a lot of us, I mean, the question is, so what? That's cool to think about, I guess, but what's that mean for me? You know, do I get ready? Like, if the end of the world is coming, like, what's going on here? You know, does that mean I stockpile food and weapons or become, like, you know, one of those doomsday preppers? You ever watch those shows? Where you're like, these people are crazy. How much money they got in toilet paper? You're like, dang. They could be living life up, but instead they're hiding in their bunker, you know? I'd rather not do that. So, so what's that mean? Should we be building bunkers in, our, in the ground, you know, in our backyard? This is what Paul says. He's like, no, don't do that. 
He says, this is what you got to do. He says, therefore, because we know this, my dear brothers and sisters, he says, be steadfast and immovable, right? Don't worry about it, right? You know what you know and, and, and stick with it. And he says, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor or your work in the Lord is not in vain. He's saying, hey, the end is coming. Jesus is coming back for us. So what? He's saying, so our job as Christians is to spread the word. This is something that is not new. We, I feel like we talk about this every single week. And it's something that we, because of the world that we live in, like we just don't think about. We just don't, we don't live like, like it matters as Christians. He's saying, no, spreading the word, like, Doing what we're supposed to be doing, which is do whatever we possibly can to reach as many people as we possibly can for Jesus. That's our job. That's our work. That's our mission. Why do we go to our job every day to, to get that check? No, we go to our work every day so that we could go to work for Jesus, so that we can influence those people at work. All right? Why do we do the things that we do? It shouldn't be, you know, you know, it should be the main goal should be to do whatever we can to help people find Jesus. And then Paul, he points out, he says, by the way, that work is the only work that's not in vain, meaning it's not wasted. That's the only work that matters. Paul's just pointing out, he's saying, hey, we got work to do. And we're not done until he gets back. And Christians have been working for this event for the past 2,000 years. And I think a lot of us as Christians, I mean, we're just like, 2,000 years is a long time. What's taking so long? Like, what's the deal? Why is he, you know, what, is, is he slow? Like, like, even looking at Paul here, when Paul's writing this, Paul knew that there was a possibility that Jesus might be coming back within his lifetime. See, Peter actually tells us in 2 Peter 3, he says, the Lord does not delay in his promise. He's like, God's not slow. Like, you think he's slow, as some understand delay, but is actually patient. He's like, we're viewing this wrong. He's patient with you, us, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. See, he's saying God is not slow. God didn't forget. He's not asleep up there going, oh, do I have something to do today or, you know, what's going on? Like sometimes we do. You know, I know how it is Monday mornings, but uh, it's not what's going on. He's patient. It's the opposite of what we think. And actually, what it sounds like is we can speed this thing up as the church by helping people find Jesus. Like, that's what he's waiting on. And so Peter is saying, God is waiting for more people to come to him. God is so patient that he's been waiting for the last 2,000 years and giving people chance after chance after chance after chance to come start that relationship with him. In fact, instead of us looking up at God and saying, hey, God, you're slow. What's going on? It might be the other way around. Think about it. It might be God's ready sitting on his throne and just going, man, I want to come back so bad, but the church is so slow on reaching people. You know, think about it. If only the church wasn't so slow, always missing the opportunities that God gives us to make a difference on people's lives. See, the problem is we're not ready. And the honest truth is, the reason why we're not ready is because we are too in love with this world. We love this world too much. In fact, Paul, in his letter to 
um, the church in Philippi, which wasn't far from Thessalonica, actually. Um, he writes a letter to them, and he's crying. And he's saying, Christians won't be ready because they are too in love with this world. He's like, people won't be, even Christians who have given their lives over to Jesus, they're not going to be ready for Jesus to come back because when he comes back, because they are too in love with this world. So focused on all the little things in their life that if you think about it, grand scheme of things, don't matter. By the way, you want to know how, you know how you could tell if you love the world too much? Right, if that's the camp that you fall into. So I think all of us are like, oh, no, Jesus, come back. You know, but it's this. When you think of Jesus coming back for us, if you knew he was going to come back tomorrow, let's just say that. And there's any type of feeling. I'm not saying you, you've logically thought this through. I'm not saying that it's like um, you know, you've, you've read this in this out or anything. But if there's any type of feeling in you that's like, ah, let's just push that off a little bit. I hope it's not tomorrow. I still got this I got to do. I got I to gotta do that. I want to finish this thing. If you have any type of feeling in you that kind of feels like that, like that dread or that like, uh, I'm not ready yet. I'm just telling you, if there's any type of that, man, that's because you are too in love with this world. He's saying, that's messed up. You don't understand how much better, how much better that's going to be. See, our problem, which is unique to the history of mankind, let's just point that out, is that we, all of us, happen to live in a little bubble, meaning we live in this certain location in the world, the United States, or Western culture, really, um, with a certain small, in a certain small time period of the history of mankind where we are just really comfortable. It's never really happened before. And, uh, and, and we ignore death because death's not part of our everyday life. And then when something, when death happens, we're like offended. Like, how could this, how could this be? And I think because our lives are so comfortable, our lives are so good, it distracts us from what is truly important. It distracts us from what really matters. See, Paul, he's not writing people like us. He's writing specifically to a group of people who are dying because of their faith and their belief in Jesus. And Paul's telling them, and he's telling us today, he's saying, hey, I have great news. Jesus is coming back, and no real Christian will be left behind, and it's going to be awesome. In fact, to wrap up, Paul says, he says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. He says, hey, instead of being bummed like, oh, man, they killed my son. He's going to miss it. He's like, instead of being bummed out about that or, or so sad or grieving where you just don't know what to do inside, he says, no, 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 get excited. Encourage each other. This life is short. Encourage each other because great things are about to happen. See, we're supposed to remind each other. We're supposed to talk about it. In fact, you know what the early church did? They had, you know how, like, you see your buddy at the, you know, uh, grocery store and you're like, what's up, dude? You know, whatever that looks like. Back in the early church, when they would greet each other, they wouldn't say, what's up, dude, okay? They would actually grab your hand, and they would hold it with both of their hands, and they would say, Marantha. And you know what that means? That means he's coming back. They say that with a smile. That's how they greeted each other. They grab your hand and say, he's coming back. See, we've lost it. This should be encouraging to us. This should get us pumped. 
and it really should get us thinking about, am I ready? Right? I mean, I mean, it should. Like, we should be thinking about that. And really, there's two different groups of people in here. Uh, some of you guys, uh, you're not ready because you've never given your lives over to Jesus. You've never started that process. You've never made that decision in your own mind. And I'm just telling you, you know, if Jesus were to come back tomorrow, you would miss the boat. All right? I mean, that's the truth. You'd be left behind. It's, there's no better time. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You could die this afternoon. There's no better time to give their lives over to Jesus than right now. And a lot of people, we think we're pretty good, and we think we've done enough good that we're like, all right, God, God I've done enough good to impress God. That's not the situation. All right, none of us are good people. I'm not a good person. We all got our issues. We are all very imperfect, and God says because of that, all right, we owe him a debt of justice. Like, he has to punish that. We owe him a debt that we cannot pay. But then 2,000 years ago, he happened to come down, and he decided to pay for it. So all we have to do is start that relationship with Jesus. You just got to ask. And so I'd encourage you, if you've not ever done that in your life, or you can't remember a specific moment where you're like, okay, that's when I started my relationship with God. I'm just saying that's a red flag. There's a good chance you've never done it. You've tricked yourself into thinking that you're good. I encourage you to do that today. It's not a conversation between you and your boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife or you and your pastor priest, you know, whatever. It's a conversation between you and your creator. Nobody else has any part to play in it. Do that today. For the rest of us, man, we're, we've given our lives over to Jesus and we're truly a Christian. Like, we, we've started that relationship. Um, the question is the same question for us. Like, are we ready? Are we working? Are we living like he's coming back someday? Are we so in love with this world that it doesn't even cross our mind? We just do our thing. We're living the American dream. We're, we're collecting our stuff. You know, the question for us is, how would we live today if we knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow? Are we living right? See, nobody knows when he's coming back. We don't know. Paul's like, I don't know. I don't know when this is going to happen. But it's going to happen in an instant. It's going to be awesome for us. But what about the people in our lives that we care about, that we love? Man, we should be doing whatever we possibly can to help them make that decision to follow Jesus, to persuade them that Jesus is the real deal and that they have hope and they can be forgiven. That's our job. That's our mission. That's our work. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these words. God, we... Man, I can't wait for this. Like, this is going to be awesome. Whenever you come back, even if I'm dead, I still get to be a part of it. And Lord, we thank you for, for caring enough about us. You didn't have to come and die for us. You just chose to do it out of your love. We thank you so much for doing that. We thank you so much for caring for us. And God, we ask that there's anybody in this room who haven't, they haven't started a relationship with Jesus yet that you would help them do that today, that they wouldn't wait another day. They wouldn't wait any longer. Get that fixed and get that cleared up just with a conversation with you. God, we thank you for this. We ask that you'd help us as Christians continue our work for you, a work that matters. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Thanks for watching, and we hope to see you here next week at Grace.